Scripture lesson today is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly, reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving for God, thanksgiving to God through us for the rendering of this ministry and not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that, has, that he has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. The kingdom of God is an investment. And this is what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks as we've been going through this, this series on abundance, is recognizing that the kingdom of God is an investment. And we started out the first week talking about this understanding of changing our mentality from one of scarcity to one of abundance. And we looked at this passage in Matthew chapter 6, which says, why do you worry about what you will wear or what you will eat or what you will drink? It goes on to talk about how God takes care of uh, the birds of the air who neither sow nor weep, reap, but they are well taken care of, and the, and the lilies of the field who are decorated more eloquently than Solomon. And, and Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. It's this understanding that the kingdom of God comes as we seek to invest out of an abundance of how God cares for us. And so we turn to this word abundance, a word that has been declining in use over the past couple of years, probably because we as a society have tur been turning more towards this understanding of scarcity, that there's not enough. And I'll tell you right now, one of the ways that I see uh, scarcity showing up most frequently, more frequently than anywhere else in our society, is Sundays. Yeah, believe it or not, Sundays is the place where I see the most amount of scarcity. Uh, whenever uh, we have all of these things, other things that are going on in our world, and we eventually get to this point where it's, I don't have enough time to go to church. Now granted, church doesn't have to happen on Sundays, it's just been happening on Sundays for a very long time and we kind of keep up that tradition, uh, but it, it does start to show our priorities. That same passage in Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is, there your heart lies also. In other words, where you invest yourself reveals your priorities, our priorities. And so, as we've been going through this stewardship campaign, I'm reminded that 
the vows that every member of the United Methodist Church takes when they join the church is to support the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And presence has been the thing that has been uh, most complicated and the place where we see the most scarcity lately, particularly as we've been going through this time of COVID. It's just, you know, less of a priority, I suppose. Um, but more than that, it's just more of scarcity. And so we've been calling on this concept of abundance and recognizing how that plays into investing in the kingdom of God. The second week, we started unpacking the parable of uh, the uh, two parables, in fact. The first, the parable of the man who finds a treasure in a field. And when he finds this treasure, he goes and sells everything he has in order to buy that field. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this field. It's an investment. The second parable, a merchant of fine pearls uncovers a magnificent pearl in the markets and goes and sells all that he has in order to buy this pearl. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this pearl. It is an investment something which we might be willing to give of all that we cling to in order to have the kingdom of heaven. And then last week we started looking at how faith is one of our forms of investment, that we invest in the kingdom of heaven by our faith, by our faithfulness, by the way that we live our very lives. For the kingdom of heaven is not something that somebody will say, look, there it is, or look, there it is. But rather, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is already among you. It is in the people. And so our faith calls us to action with the people. And today, I want us to consider the kingdom of heaven as an investment as we look at an abundance in generosity. And what a fascinating word generosity is. Because generosity is something that originates within us. Generosity is something that wells up within us. Generosity is something by which our actions reflect what's going on inside of us. And for this reason, we turn to our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And as Kathy started reading for us this morning, you might have noticed a very familiar passage in there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, the very same reminder that I have been giving to us every single week as we get to our time of tithes and offerings. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I bring this scripture up each Sunday during the offering for a very specific purpose, to remind us that our giving is our voluntary commitment. Our giving is our voluntary commitment. That it is something that we choose to do. We don't do it under compulsion. I don't go around asking everybody what their salary is so that I make sure that you're giving a tenth of that salary whenever you're coming to church on Sunday mornings. Don't really see the purpose in that. Rather, it's our voluntary commitment, something that we choose to do. And when we apply the term generosity to that, we're reminded that, that our voluntary commitment is something that should arise within us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, As you have made up your mind, 
4, God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, our giving should be guided by joy rather than reluctance. And this is one of the reasons why it's so complicated to talk about money whenever we get into the church. Because it feels like we just want your money in order to be able to pay this and this and this. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you the first thing. Uh, first things first. Your giving is not an influence to my salary. Okay. Uh, if you would ever like to know how salaries, are get, how salaries get set, um, that happens at the guidance board level. And there's a uh, conversation that happens around that entire process, but it is not guided. It's not like, ooh, this person gave a little bit extra, so then the pastor gets a little bit extra. It doesn't work that way. So first of all, whenever we're talking about generosity, we're not talking about my salary. Okay. Second of all, whenever we're talking about generosity, we're not talking about building something new for our church. We are under a complete repair and renovation process, and so this does feel a little bit ironic to talk about. Um, but Insurance is covering the majority of this, all right? So we're not looking uh, for your money in order to be able to uh, have something uh, extravagant in our buildings. Our building is a tool, but it is a tool for ministry. And so when we're talking about giving generously, whenever we're talking about stewardship campaigns and when we bring up money in the life of the church, and I'm always so reluctant to do so, what we're talking about is ministry. It is by our giving that we are able to do extravagant things. You'll notice another thing that is repeated. In addition to this reminder from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, another thing that is repeated during the offering time is the prayer that I offer. And the very last line of the prayer before uh, in your holy name we pray uh, is uh, that our by our generosity we might see the world transformed. Okay, so we live in a world that utilizes money for like literally everything. It's just a product of our society. And so it is by finances, that kind of that, um, when we're talking about that amount of generosity, that we are able to impact the world in a way that the mission of Christ calls us to impact the world. And so I want you to know that as we're going through the stewardship campaign, what we're talking about is ministry and our capacity to be able to do ministry and share the love of God with the world. And we accumulate this capacity through our time of tithes and offerings. Now, I want to let you in on a little bit of a secret here, okay? So that word tithe there, that dates back to Old Testament times when the law of Moses, uh, the, the law was set for Moses and Moses hands it to the people. It was that a tithe will be made of all the people. In other words, a tenth. Tithe is just another word for a tenth. A tenth of what the people have would be uh, consecrated and set apart for the holy purposes of God. Now, that's under the old law. Under the new covenant of Christ came the offering of generosity. No longer a tithe, although a tithe is still a, a decent marker, Rather, under the new covenant of Jesus Christ, we have the new, the, uh, the new offering of generosity. Consider for a moment the early church in Acts. They didn't just give a tenth of their possessions to be shared in common. They held all things in common. All things. That's radical generosity. Look through Paul's letters and 
consistently. If Paul's talking about money, he's talking about radical generosity. And it's radical generosity that is going to the larger mission of the church. And then I also want us to consider John Wesley, the founder of Modern Day United Methodism, preached a sermon, and I can't fathom using this title today, but the sermon that he preached was called On the Use of Money. That sounds dreadful for me to even uh, preach about in modern society because it's like, oh, the pastor's going to tell you how you need to use your money. But this is where this, uh, this expression that we've become a little bit fond of in the United Methodist Church comes from. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. It's this offering of generosity that we are to give generously, not just a tenth, but all we can. All that we can. To what end, however? And this is the part that gets a little bit complicated because we have to recognize that this amount of generosity does have a return to it. However, we often read verses like chapter 6 of our passage today as pertaining to ourselves. The point is this, Paul says, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so we read this and we often think, if I give generously, then God is going to bless me with uh, twofold, fivefold, tenfold uh, portion to this. And while I'm not negating that fact, God may indeed do that. What Paul is talking about here isn't about a return for ourselves. It is about a return for, guess what? The kingdom, the kingdom of God, one who sows bountifully reaps bountifully on behalf of the kingdom of God. One who sows sparingly reaps sparingly on behalf of the kingdom of God. My friends, I come back to that phrase again, the kingdom of God is an investment. It's not about us is the point that we have to get to in all of this. And we see this in the way that we worship. I want you to take a moment and, and look in your bulletins. You could even just, if you would like, count back uh, time for just a moment and find that the central part of our worship service is, guess what? It's not the sermon, although I often make it seem that way because I talk for way too long. It's not the hymns either. It's not the liturgy. In fact, the very central element of worship is, you're not going to believe this, the offering. That is meant to be the focal point of the worship service, the offering. Because, you see, worship, as it is, is meant to be our response to God. We've had an entire week of encounters with God and we come together for one measly hour of one measly day to worship and it is meant to be our response to God. And we place the offering at the center of worship as a reminder that this is what's most important. And the offering has always been central to worship. We can even go back into the Old Testament Judaism times and recognize that that's, that was their worship. They would bring an offering, you know, whatever that, uh, they had very grain offerings, offerings of the fattened calf, you know, anywhere in between of all of these. But it was of some amount of possession that the offering has always been central to worship. And the reason being is that there is no more faithful thing that we can do 
than to release to God what our society tells us to cling to. There's no more faithful thing that we can do as an act of worship than to release to God what society tells us to cling to, namely our money, because that's the kind of society that we live in. And so the offering is central to worship services as our response to God and saying, God, you are worthy. Take from what I give generously. But here's the thing, okay? And this is important. God does not need our money. I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't use money. Like, it's not like God's running down to the convenience store, grabbing a you know, six-pack of Coca-Cola and a bag of popcorn and going back and sitting the rest of us, sit and watch the rest of us do our thing. God doesn't need our money. However, our siblings in Christ do need our money. If you were to go on the United Methodist website and search up the words giving, generosity, offering, things like this, one of the first things that you would see under the United Methodist website is the, is the verse Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, which says, Bear one another's burdens. Ooh, hold that. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. That's powerful. Bear one another's burdens. That's what generosity, what giving, what the offering is all about in the United Methodist Church in our worship. Because God doesn't need our money, but our siblings in Christ do need our money, and our God has called us to bear one another's burdens. And I'm going to tell you right now, friends, there are people even right here among us who have significant financial burdens, and they shouldn't have those. And we could remedy those. And there are people right beyond our walls, right here, who have significant financial burdens, and they shouldn't have those, and we can remedy those. And there are people in our community, in our state, in our nation, in our world who have significant financial burdens, and they shouldn't have those, and we can remedy those. And that's why the offering sits at the center of worship, because it is our faithful response to our God who has called us to Bear one another's burdens. By having the offering as the central part of worship, we recognize our giving as central to our faith and that our faith is one guided by generosity. Today is All Saints Sunday, and we recognize and remember and honor the faith of those who have gone on to glory for one, before us. But one thing that we cannot ignore about their faith is how it has been guided by and immersed in generosity. The faith of the saints is immersed in generosity. Our faith has always called us to walk in this amount of generosity. If you would like to go back to the saints from the beginning of time, let's continue that and, and, and unpack all of that. I'll just pick out a few of my favorites. In Exodus chapter 36, there's this beautiful moment, right? We often think of the Israelites in the book of Exodus as like making all kinds of blunders and stuff. But there's this one beautiful moment in Exodus chapter 36 where Moses collects an offering in order to build the sanctuary of God as they travel. And guess what happens? They start bringing their offering. And they keep bringing their offering. And they keep bringing their offering. And they keep bringing their offering to the point where Moses has to say, Stop bringing your offering! 
It's too much. That's beautiful generosity right there. On behalf of the work of God, the people will not stop giving generously their offering. Look also, let's go to Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And in a moment of a beautiful encounter with Christ, Zacchaeus goes from being a person who collects money to a person who gives generously. Luke 21, Jesus and his disciples are watching the temple treasury as these wealthy people are coming with trumpet sounds and making a big boasting about the offering that they're giving, and it is just a giving out of what they have. And then comes a widow with two copper coins. And Jesus points her out to his disciples and says, she has given more than all the others because she has given out of all that she has. We have also the rich young ruler whom Jesus calls to go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Or perhaps we might turn to the very book that we're in today, 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 8. Paul has charged the Corinthians with giving. And y'all... Uh, the book of Acts kicks this off, and 2 Corinthians is, is a continuation of this, which is the first, I'm going to use the word, apportionments that we see in our world. And if you're unfamiliar with that word apportionments, it is the amount that each church gives to support the mission of God through other churches. This church in 2 Corinthians, starting in, in chapter 8, they are giving generously not for their own operation, but for a church with a people whom they have never met. They don't know these people, and they're clear in, in basically another continent. And they give gener generously to support the mission of God through this church. And so, my friends, I point out all of this for us to recognize that our faith that we have been called to, the faith which our saints have set an example for, is a faith that is immersed in generosity. And so my challenge for each and every one of us today is to commit to the kingdom of God with abundant generosity. Commit to the kingdom of God with abundant generosity. Okay, I'm not asking for you to give any more than you feel comfortable giving, but I am asking you to give to the mission, to the kingdom of God. And if you want to see how we put that money to work here in the life of this church, come to our guidance board meeting next Sunday, immediately following worship. If you don't feel comfortable giving to this specific church, I'm going to make a, a, quite a point here and just say, I don't care. Give to something generously. There are plenty of nonprofits in our area who do awesome work. There are plenty of other churches in our area who do awesome work. I would love for you to give to the mission of our church because I believe in the mission of our church. But my charge to you is simply to commit to the kingdom of God with abundant generosity and however you see fit, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let us pray.